0: A police officer by the name of Peter O'Hanlon was patrolling his beat early one evening when he came upon a, a child who was sitting at curbside crying and it was a little boy couldn't have been any more than maybe five years old and he approached the boy who said to him through his tears can you take me home oh, I'm sure I can lad where do you live and he says I, I don't know. And the officer named street after street and store after store, and and none of that resonated with this little boy. And finally the officer looked up and he saw the steeple of the church that was in the center of the city with a cross illuminated at the top. And so he set the boy on his knee and he said, "Uh, can you see the cross on the church? Do you you live anywhere near that? And the boy said, yes, yes, I see see that every day from my house. Take me to the cross, and I can find my way home from there. Take me to the cross, and I can find my way home from there. Church family, it's a, it's a little bit of a cheesy story, kind of. I get that. I do. But you know what? I If you've been with us in our verse-by-verse verse explore of the New Testament book of Galatians, you know that, but that's essentially the the message of this book. Take me to the cross. To a personal relationship with the living God, not by trying to be a good person, but by faith in Jesus. Not by dutiful rule keeping, but by pure grace. Not by performance, but by the person of Jesus. Take me to his cross and I can get home from there. Right? Yeah. False teachers called Judaizers had descended on the baby Christians in Galatia, sending them into a kind of a spiritual tailspin of confusion about how God's salvation for sinners really works. Who Jesus is, what he has done for us, that's the gospel. Who Jesus is, what he has done, appropriated into my life by grace through faith in Jesus' death and resurrection alone. That's the gospel. We have compressed that down into this Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything that matters is wrapped up in that. The Judaizers come along and they say, well, you know, Paul got it partly right. Jesus is good and he's important and you need him, but you need to also embrace the Mosaic law of the Jews who are, after all, the people of God. Observe the laws, the rules, the customs, the ceremonial rituals, the feasts, the holidays of the law of the Jews, plus Jesus... And then you will secure your salvation and a place with God in his heaven. And so it's a salvation essentially by good works. That was the Judaizers message to the Galatians. And Paul says, ah, time out. No way. That is a wholesale corruption of Jesus gospel. It takes the freedom that is found in him by faith and binds it in chains of legalism. It takes God's salvation by grace and it, it, it turns it into salvation by works which can never save. And since Paul can't physically be with the Galatians to defend them uh, against the Judaizers and this sort of deadly serious spiritual lie, well, he does the next best thing. He, he writes the, his Galatian friends, these new Christians, this letter that we are, uh, have our Bibles open to. He, he lays out the letter in a fairly simple way. It can, it can really be broken down into three major sections which is very typical of Paul's letters. He follows the same, maybe the same kind of outline uh, almost in every single letter. The first section for us, which is chapter one and most of chapter two, is essentially Paul uh, sharing his personal story, how he came to be uh, with the Galatians. The, uh, from the end of chapter two and all of chapter three and four, well, he devotes that to uh, doctrine that 's the doctrinal section, the heavy teaching section that that backs up his salvation by faith in Jesus alone, gospel that he is defending, and then the last section is the practical application section, chapters five and six, how the truth of Jesus plus nothing actually shapes and directs and impacts my life right now, and so We, for our part in our ongoing study, are smack dab in the middle of the middle section, if you've not been with us before. We're in that that chapters 3 and 4 section, the doctrinal section. Paul transitioned us into this section, if you remember, when we were back in chapter 2 and verse 16. In fact, if you'll just look back there for one second, we'll put this verse up on the screen, but this verse really is the fulcrum. It's the... It's the linchpin. It would be the centerpiece of the whole letter. And we talked about this. Uh, you, You get this verse and you get the whole book. You miss this verse and you will miss the message of the book of Galatians. Paul writes and he says, We know that a person is not justified. And remember that word means pronounced not guilty, fully righteous in the court of heaven by God. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, pronounced not guilty, fully righteous in the court of heaven by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is about as clear and unfiltered a declaration as we would ever get from the Holy Spirit that our salvation truly is Jesus plus nothing else. And so it is then that with these words, Paul drives hard into the lie of the Judaizers in his letter. With the tenacity really of a a pit bull, he just starts to present proof after proof after proof to the Galatians for why their salvation can only ever be by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone. He quotes Old Testament scripture passages and he pulls out uh, illustrations from the life of Abraham who was the father of the Jewish people. He draws on examples from everyday life, how, how contracts are made and how so- slavery works and how families function and, and how inheritance are, inheritances are passed on. And, and, and we saw last, last time that he even uses the example of adoption to show us how our relationship with God is is by faith. That's how it works through Jesus. Paul from 2.16 on has just been pressing and pressing, pressing his friends, one doctrinal proof after another, one theological argument after another, boom, 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 out of his love for them and out of his passion for Jesus and for the truth of salvation. And in the course of doing this, There is a danger. There is a risk. The risk being that if you you can leave your friends that you're 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 sharing all this with, you can leave your friends feeling like they've just been run over by a doctrinal steamroller. Everything he said is true. It's spot on, and it needs to be shared. But it can be so much and it can be so intense that it can leave, could leave the Galatians feeling like Paul cares more about his principles and his arguments than he does about them. He's been going so hard and so fast. And maybe he just senses this on his own or perhaps he gets a nudge in the ribs by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever ever had that happen to you? You get a, a nudge by the Holy Spirit Paul, slow down, take a breath, breathe in, breathe out. I don't know if that's what happened, but very clearly right in the middle of this doctrinal section, Paul very noticeably changes his tone, his direction, and the focus of his thoughts. It's it's like he inserts a parenthesis from verse 8 of chapter 4 all the way to verse 20, to sort of reestablish that personal relational connection that is so vital to effective ministry. Uh, Raise your hand if you have ever heard this phrase. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Raise your hand if that... You all should be raising your hand because it's right there, isn't it? You have been exposed. I know you have been. <laughs> You've been exposed to this. But, but let me ask you this. Do you think it's true? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Do you think that's true? Yeah, you know, Jesus thought that was true. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36, we read these words. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. What is that? That's doctrine, isn't it? That's the doctrine. And healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What is that? That's the care, isn't it? So in, that, in those two verses, you get the doctrine, like Paul's doing, and you get the care as well. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus believed that. The Apostle Peter, who was certainly uh, influenced in dramatic ways by Jesus and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes these words to us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth. What is that? That's the doctrine, isn't it? So that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. What is that? That's the care, isn't it? No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul would have affirmed this instantly as well. See if you don't sense the change in tone and focus right in the middle of this tenacious defense of the true gospel as we pick it up in verse 8 of chapter 4. Formally, he says, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, or maybe your version says, I beg you. Boy, you can just, ch- the tone, the change in tone is just so clear. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness or your joy? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, that is the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone For I am perplexed. I care about you. Can you just see it? Can you just sense it? The change in tone. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul believed this. You believe this. I believe this. And here's the thing. Right now, each one of us in this room who know Jesus and love Jesus, we have people in our lives who do not know Jesus in a saving way. Or, or, or we know people who who have drifted from the claims that they once maybe had had thought were real or true and had embraced. In either case, we have the truth and we have the true gospel. Jesus plus nothing else saves. We have what... They need the truth that will transform their lives, that will change their eternity. But in order to have the privilege of sharing that truth with them, they will need to know that we genuinely, sincerely, authentically care for them. Agreed? Because if they don't know that, they will suspect our motives, and by extension, they will suspect or be suspicious of our message as well. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. So, so caring deeply is an incredibly important component in any effort that we make to join with God in sharing Jesus with others and being part of enlarging the kingdom of God. You know, here at Ottawa Bible Church, we do LIFE, and that for us is an acronym which we have hanging on the wall over here. What does it stand for? It stands for Loving God Together investing in each other, finding places to serve, and enlarging God's kingdom, right? That's what we're about here. We're doing life together here. In these verses that we just read, the Holy Spirit, if we are alert and discerning to look for them, the Holy Spirit, I believe, gives us several important characteristics that mark the life of any follower of Jesus who is vitally involved in making the truth of Jesus plus nothing known to other persons, enlarging the kingdom. As we observe Paul here, we're going to discover some things that just that we just might be able to put into practice in our own lives for the sake of others and for, for the sake of Jesus' cause. And it all starts, as you see there on your little note page, with a willingness to make an investment of ourselves into the life of another person. That's what it means to care deeply. At least that's a characteristic you're going to invest your life in another person. Verse 8 through 11 kind of drives home this truth. Paul writes in verse 8, "Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Paul steps back from doctrine mode. He takes this breath. He pauses. And then in verse 8, he's just, he simply reminds the Galatians of where he and they have been together. He says that there was a time in their past when they were in bondage, they were in slavery, something held them captive. It was something bleak, it was something dark and hard and without joy. Paul reminds them of their life before they heard the truth of Jesus, when they were worshiping a hundred different idols and pagan deities in galatia there in every city there were temples to to idols to false gods to false deities and those idols had to be appeased they had to be placated they had to be sacrificed to endlessly of course idols are not really gods at all but simply human inventions that a fallen humanity creates over time to explain the things that they can't control But this slavish system of appeasing idols by good deeds and efforts so that the the false god would like you and bless you and care about you, that was all that the Galatians had ever known before Paul brought the true gospel of Jesus to them. It was an endless grind of performance and appeasement, and, and, and you just never knew if you had done enough to placate that particular idol. It was, as Paul says here, spiritual enslavement. He says, remember, that's what life was like for you. Verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? With Jesus came freedom. Spiritual liberation. In fact, if, if you'll just glance over the, across the page there in your Bible to chapter 5 and verse 1, look what Paul is soon to write and we are soon to study together. Verse 1, chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm there and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. No more salvation by by works or by legalism. Just faith. No more reliance on what you do, but full faith in what Jesus has already done for you. We can almost hear the ache in in Paul's voice as he says, how how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Do you want to be slaves again? And here Paul is actually shifting his thoughts from the rule-keeping demands of some pagan idol in a temple to the rule-keeping false teaching of the Judaizers. Their message, as we have come to learn, was in fact little different from what the Galatians had known before Jesus. The Judaizers were essentially saying, you know, there aren't many gods that you have to appease and perform for and, 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 and win the approval of. There's just one God. His name's Yahweh Elohim. But you still need to do this and this and this and you need to to not do that and you need to obey uh, this this part of, of, of the Mosaic law with all of its requirements and its demands or God will not be happy with you. He will not want you. He will not love you. You will not be going to heaven. Paul would say, that's the same old enslaving principle That you knew before Jesus. It's just dressed in different clothes. Do you really want to go back to that? That's what he's asking them. Verse 10 You observe days and months and seasons and years. The sad fact is they've already kind of done this, they've already gone back. That's what you did before Jesus, and now you want to return to that way of living again with the false teachers from Jerusalem? Really? I mean, really? Do you want to do that? can almost hear Paul saying that. Verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And it's that statement in verse 11 that, that allows us to catch a hint of Paul's sense of investment of himself in the Galatian believers' lives. I, what was the word? Labored over you. In Acts chapter 13 and 14 where Luke describes Paul's ministry in Galatia in some detail we know that that missions trip took everything that Paul had to give and more. It was an extremely difficult missionary adventure logistically speaking but even more physically and spiritually speaking. He encountered intense persecution in some of the Galatian cities that he he would preach Jesus in. He was even stoned, Luke tells us, in the the city of Lystra by the people and left for dead, thrown outside the city gate uh, in that Galatian town. Paul had literally invested his whole self in this people that he didn't even know so that they might know the one who knew them. Verse 9 And so the one thing that the Galatians could never say of Paul was that he was a fair-weather friend or that he was a a kind of take-the-easy-way missionary. Man, he was fully committed to bringing them Jesus, fully invested in them, and that is part of caring deeply and winning the privilege of sharing Jesus with another person. It's no no less true for you or me. The privilege of making Jesus known to others is given by God to those who will make themselves available and invest their own time and their energy, maybe their safety or their health, maybe their money, whatever they have, to introduce someone else to Jesus. That's part of caring deeply. And so the question we might want to ask in this moment is, does, does our Christianity, yours and mine, does it reflect a, a readiness to invest our very self into the lives of others as one of the characteristics of one who loves Jesus and cares deeply. Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, make it so. Amen? Yeah. Well, there's a second characteristic, and that is the characteristic of being flexible for the sake of the gospel. It's part of caring deeply. Verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you... Become as I am, for I also have what? Become as you are. I entreat you, I, I beg you. Note Paul's softened tone from that doctrinal barrage that we had been working our way through. Become as I am, he says, free from trying to earn salvation by by keeping the law and free from having to live by all of those those outward symbols and ceremonies and restrictions and requirements. Back back in chapter 2, verse 19, Paul said, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And he wants his Galatian friends to have that same freedom. Become as I am, for I've also become as God. You are. Here he's reminding them that although he was Jewish by birth and that he had a mountain of tradition and custom and and practice and history that had been part of his life, he was more than happy to let go of all that and immerse himself in the lives of the Galatians, enter into an incredibly different culture than he had grown up in for the sake of the gospel. Not at the expense of violating the gospel, but he would enter into the Galatians' cultural norms and their customs, their traditions, in order to share Jesus with them. To say it another way, Paul became culturally flexible for Jesus' sake. You know, effective ministry that is energized by the true gospel is, a fle- is flexible, it is adaptable to reach others with the life-changing truth of Jesus is often going to require that we adapt and adjust to the ways of those we want to share Jesus with. We need to, to enter into their life, be part of their life. We eat with them, we play with them, we talk and walk with them. We get to know their world and we live in it, appreciating their world, even though it might not be our world. In fact, listen to what Paul said to the church family in first century Corinth. These will be verses familiar to many of you. First Corinthians chapter 9 verses 20 to 22. I'll put it up on the screen as well. Paul says, "To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to what? Win Jews to Jesus." To those outside the law, those who are not Jewish, they're they're Gentiles like most of us in this room. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might do what? Win those who are outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now Paul's not saying I'm the savior. But he's saying, I carry the message. Can can those words be our words? Man, I hope so. I I hope so, church family. For Jesus' sake and for the sake of those who don't know him yet. You know, the Judaizers came to Galatia. They couldn't do this. They couldn't be flexible. They took their cultural preferences, their Jewishness, their practices, and insisted that the Galatians change to become like them. Believe in Jesus but become Jewish and then you'll be saved. You know, that's the mindset of a legalist, inflexible, obsessed with with secondary stuff, forcing requirements that are extraneous to the gospel onto the lives of people who just need Jesus. You know, we can do better. Like Paul, becoming as they are, he says. Motivated by our love for Jesus and for those who don't know him yet, we flex and we connect and we enter the unsaved person's world so that we can be there to to answer their questions and carry their struggles and share their hopes and their fears and their, their dreams and, a, and adapt our life and our speech and our message to them without changing the gospel message. And it just brings us back to this truth. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care you know what christianity is incredibly comfortable in any setting any situation any culture because all it requires is faith in jesus and nothing else isn't that good we have that to share with others a a third characteristic of those who care deeply if you flip your note page over they see salvation opportunities in every circumstance. If you're going to care deeply for others, you've got to be on the lookout for salvation opportunities whenever they come. Verse, at the end of verse 12, Paul says, You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus What then has become of your blessedness, your joy? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. It's a great window into the relationship that Paul had with these people. At the end of verse 12, he makes a rather abrupt change of of emphasis, reminding the Galatians how, how rich and deep their relationship with him had once been. They not only had done him no wrong, but they had openly and lovingly received him while he was in an extremely difficult personal circumstance. He reminds them that he had a very serious physical ailment when he came to them and that that is actually what created the opportunity for him to be with them, was this physical affliction that he had. He doesn't go into detail and tell us exactly what it was that he was suffering from, but you know it was bad. Many Bible scholars think that it might have had something to do with his eyes, this thing that he's talking about. Uh, maybe it was a complication of malaria. That's another thing that is, is sometimes put forth, that he maybe had malaria. But, but, and the reason that they think it has something to do with his eyes is because Paul says the Galatians would have gladly torn out their eyes and given them to him uh, if they could do that. That was their relationship. And, you know, the scholars might be right here. You know, Paul normally dictated uh, his letters to a secretary. And then at the very end of the letter, he would take the pen in his own hand and and he would add a closing statement. Uh, If you go to chapter 6 of this letter and you look at verse 11, Paul will say, see with what large letters I am writing you, perhaps alluding to his eyes and this affliction that the Galatians would have known about. You would have torn out your eyes for me. Or whatever the affliction was that assaulted Paul, what we don't want to miss is that Paul embraced this serious physical struggle as a gospel opportunity, not as some great misfortune. It's because of this that I got to share Jesus with you. For him, the problem represented a gospel possibility. Whether this bodily element caused him to to detour detour through Galatia or it caused him unanticipated delays that gave him more time with the people, we don't know. And it really doesn't matter. He seized the moment for Jesus' sake. He chose to view his circumstance as as a perfect step in God's uh, plan for the Galatian people. He just fit right into that. This isn't just some fleeting momentary perspective that Paul has. Many years after this, he's going to be in a Roman prison for loving Jesus. And from that prison, he writes several letters. One of those letters he writes to the Philippian church. And there on your note page, in Philippians chapter 1, look at what Paul writes. Verses 12 and 13. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that is my imprisonment in Rome, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. In other words, Paul is saying it wasn't, it, it wasn't for me a bad thing that I'm in prison because the praetorian guard of Caesar himself now knows about Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for prisons. Paul's perspective here in Philippians and also in Galatians 4 are a good reminder to us that sharing Jesus with others doesn't always happen according to our plans. Would you agree with that? (laughs) You know, and I'm really speaking to myself here since I, I am a planner. Anybody who knows me? Am I a planner? Yeah, man, I'm a planner by God's design and by my temperament. I am a planner. I not only think about today, I think about tomorrow. I think about three years from now. I think about ten years from now. And I have my plan. And you know what? In all of my planning, I have never designed into any of my plans an ounce of suffering or or disappointment or discouragement or some kind of a detour i never planned for that and yet i can testify of many times where the unplanned in my life has resulted in jesus opportunities not only for myself but for other people as well brothers and sisters we we, we don't want to to look at the at the detours in our life as some misfortunate circumstance that's come upon us. But rather, let's see those times as as perhaps a divinely orchestrated way that God wants to make Jesus known to somebody else. And this is how he's going to do it. You can tell stories like this, as can I. That's part of caring deeply. A fourth characteristic of caring deeply that Paul models, speaking the truth, but doing that with respect and gentleness and with love verse 16 have i then become your enemy by telling you the truth paul senses that this sweet relationship that he had with the galatians when he was with them he senses that it's been threatened he asked them in verse 13 what has become of our bless your blessedness your joy you would have given me your eyes once upon a time Have I then become your enemy by by telling you the truth about the Judaizers and their false message? It doesn't cause him to back off, though. Even though the relationship might be a little tense in the moment, he's going to continue to speak the truth. He's not going to soft-pedal the gospel or try to dance around the issues that are threatening the Galatians. In fact, because he does care so deeply for them, he risks again for their sake by telling them the truth. Verse 17. They, he says, that is the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now, that's just saying it like it is, right? That's the truth. The Judaizers talk like they, they really do care for you, Paul says, but they're false suitors and, and they have no genuine love or interest in you or your welfare. And he pulls no punches when he says their, their true wish, their true objective is to shut you out of God's grace and put you back into chains of legalism and, and human performance. And, and they do it all so that they can gain recognition and a following. You'll follow after them. That's what drives the day for the Judaizers. That's implied in the phrase that that you will make much of them. The Judaizers care deeply for you, Paul says. No doubt about that. But they care deeply for you only to the end that it serves them. That's all. Verse 18. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. But clearly this is not a good purpose. And so Paul stands in stark contrast to the false teachers, loving the Galatians enough to speak the truth to them. He'll write the Ephesian church and he'll say this in Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in what? In love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From a place of, of, of really genuine love, Paul will tell his friends the truth about Jesus and their need for him alone, and warn them against the lies of anybody who who presents a false message. Even if that might result in some uncomfortable tension, maybe some iciness in the relationship for a time, he's going to speak the truth. Brothers and sisters, how about we do the same thing? How about we ask the Holy Spirit every day, to fill us so that we will be willing and ready to speak the truth, willing and ready to even risk the loss of returned affection when that is appropriate for the sake of Jesus. But let's also ask for truth to be flavored with gentleness, with respect. First Peter 3.15, you know this verse. I was wondering, can we, can we read this right off the screen together? Can you see it in the far back? Can you see that? Let's, let's read this 1 Peter 3.15 verse out loud together as a church family. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's part of caring deeply. Be ready to share Jesus at any time. But do it with gentleness and respect. Lord, help us do that. And then from what Paul says here, we learn that caring deeply also means that we love with the heart of a parent. Verse 19, Paul calls the Galatians his what? My little children. He called them brothers back in verse 12, a very definite term of affection and closeness. But man, here he raises the bar even more. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Boy, this is clearly not the Paul who earlier was skillfully arguing like a lawyer uh, before a skeptical jury and just pounding away on the doctrine. Man, this is Paul pleading with, with a, a, the heart of a parent out of a place of deep love for a wayward child. That the, the Galatians, look, he feels like to them they are his, his children. In fact, this word picture is really vivid. He views himself as having been part of the original spiritual birth of these people back when he first came to them and shared Jesus. He watched them experience the new birth to to go from from spiritual death to spiritual life through faith and nothing else. He was there to help nurse them in those early days of infancy in their spiritual life and to grow them up and help them get their feet. And now he says, in effect... Oh, my dear little children, I feel like I'm in labor again. And that's not a good thing. You've already experienced new birth and life in Jesus, but now you're acting as if you need to be spiritually born all over again. You make me feel like a mother who has to deliver the same baby twice. That's what he says. That's literally what he is saying. That's how you make me feel in this moment. But this is what you will do if you care deeply for the spiritual welfare of another person. Paul wishes it wasn't necessary that the Galatians would forsake the false teachers and return to Jesus alone. But if a second round of of spiritual labor pains was what it was going to take to pull them back, well, and Paul was willing, he would do whatever it took because he cared for them. When he wrote the Thessalonian believers, he says this: "But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children." He likes the analogy, doesn't he? So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because we you had become very dear to us. You can just hear his heart. And so I would ask church family, are we prepared to love with the heart of a parent? Those whom the Lord Jesus places in our path and asks us to share Jesus with. Can we love them like a parent? The last characteristic, the bottom of your note page. Caring deeply means settling for nothing less than Jesus' formation in those that we serve. Verse 19 Once more, my little children, who I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. If that little phrase, until Christ is formed in you, is not highlighted in your Bible or underlined or circled, can I encourage you to do that so that you never miss this when you come back here again? Although a return to spiritual labor for the sake of his friends is not what Paul wants for them He's not going to abandon them. In fact, he's not going to be satisfied until Jesus is formed in them. And what he means by that is that he's not going to be satisfied until the very character of Jesus is reflected in every part of their life. Nothing less than that is what Paul's pressing for here. Sometimes we call this Christ-likeness. We like that phrase. It is the goal of every growing Christian over time to want to reflect more and more of the person, the character, the nature of Jesus. Paul will actually get into this here in the Galatian letter in chapter 5 when he tells us about what it means to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is all of that? That's the character of Jesus. We're going to get into that. We're going to talk about that. No laws need to be written when you're living that stuff out. Paul says, this is what I want for you. I want want for, for Christ to be fully formed in you. And I'm not going to settle for anything less. Sometime back, I came upon a short prayer that so gripped me that I actually wrote it on the back inside cover of my Bible. I actually found this prayer when I was on my sabbatical that you had sent Lisa and I on back in 2013. And I came onto to this little prayer, and it reads like this. "O oh Holy Spirit, would that others would consistently say of me as they reflect on their day. An extraordinary thing happened to me today. I saw Jesus in a man. For your glory I ask this. Amen. An extraordinary thing happened to me today. I saw Jesus in a man. Until Christ is formed in you. That's what this prayer is all about. That, that, Others would encounter you in their day and as they reflect upon their day, at the end of the day, they would say, an extraordinary thing happened to me today. I saw Jesus in her. I saw Jesus in him. I saw Jesus in them when they were together. An extraordinary thing happened. I'm going to write that in my diary until Christ is formed in you. Paul would settle for nothing less. It's part of caring deeply for others. We know we're caring deeply when we're prepared to invest our very selves in other people's lives, when we're willing to be flexible for their sake, when we see even the unplanned as part of God's plan for somebody else, when we speak the truth but do that in ways that build uh, bridges and not walls, when we love with the heart of a patient parent, and when we settle for nothing less than Jesus' formation in the lives of another person, then we know that we're caring deeply. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for preserving these truths for us today. And, and our sincere prayer is that we would not just hear these words, but that, that they would fall onto our hearts and go deep into who we are and change us today. Make us different for your sake, that we would, we would be more passionate and more driven to care deeply for others, especially those who don't know you yet. You are going to bring them across our path this week. Every single one of us are going to meet people and spend time with people who don't know you. Help us to love them well and to care deeply for them till Christ be formed in them. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.